This is a Federal News Network podcast. Sometimes forgotten during the pandemic is that drug overdose deaths have continued to rise. After the COVID threat recedes, the opioid addiction crisis will rage on. That's why the Drug Enforcement Administration puts a lot of resources into its periodic drug take-back days. In fact, the next one is tomorrow. Here with a look behind the scenes, the acting DEA administrator, D. Christopher Evans. Mr. Evans, good to have you on. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. And I wanted to go into these drug take-back days. There's one coming up very shortly, April 24th. And this is not something that is just a public affairs or public-facing gesture. It seems like it's a really major program for the DEA. True? Absolutely, Tom. This is a year-long effort for DEA. It's something which all of our offices throughout the country, our 23 field divisions and every post of duty and regional office in between, are involved in this program. Our diversion control program, our congressional public affairs program, do a lot of the outward-facing efforts to do this, but there's a lot of work that takes place behind the scenes, and it really is all hands on deck, and it's a year-long effort for the agency. And we want to make sure the services we provide to the public are ready to go, are convenient, and are able to make sure the services are good when we carry this out. And we can get into some of the details in a moment, but I wanted to ask you about what you have seen in the whole opioid issue during this pandemic, because I think people don't often realize that the DEA has a big regulatory role in legal drugs like opioids, as well as the illegal traffic. You're correct. And that's one of the the aspects of what we do that's a little unique that people really don't understand or don't realize as part of what we do. Our diversion control program helps provide for the scheduling of controlled substances, including, you know, those for legal use, and they help register individuals who handle controlled substances. So that regulation portion of DEA is a site which people often don't see. But right now, with what's going on with the opioid epidemic and overdose deaths in this country, that's a critical element of what we do. And it's one of those things that directly aligns with the Take Back program and the efforts we're going to have this weekend. And the opioid illegal use or misuse or overprescription and overuse and so on, that has not abated like so much other activity during the pandemic, has it? No, it, it hasn't. In fact, the numbers we've seen from the CDC for the last year and the data we've seen estimates up to 85,000 overdose deaths in this country. And that's a record number. It's a number that we didn't expect and people expect with the pandemic that those numbers would have gone down. But in fact, it's the opposite. The overdose death numbers have actually increased during the last year. And so it's something we're trying to continue to address partners in the prevention and treatment folks, as well as those in other parts of the community to make sure we can do everything we can to try to get those numbers back going the other direction. And in the take-back days, do people turn in opioids? I mean, I know people that have had surgery that have gotten a prescription and they have said, gosh, this is an awful lot of pills, probably more than I really want to get into because of the possibility of getting addicted. So is that one of the major categories that gets dumped back into those bins? Well, that's one of the categories that gets dumped back into the bin. We don't go through and track and identify whether people are turning in opioids or if they're turning in cold medicines. It's one of the things that we want to make sure we provide an opportunity for people to bring whatever unused, expired, or unwanted medications that they have, and they're able to drop it off. The one caveat in the category that we can't take is liquids and then sharps and syringes, and we're not able to take those. But for any other category of medicines, we're willing to take those, and we want to make sure people get that out of their medicine cabinets and, and they're safely disposed of. But do you go through what is dropped off kind of as a sampling to get an idea of the trends of what people are turning back in or not using? 
No, we don't. One of the things that we want to make sure with the effort is that it's as convenient as possible for people and what we can do is safely dispose of it. So for making sure that we're able to do that for the safety of the people dropping off as well as the safety of the people who are handling those things, we don't go through and try to categorize. We want to make sure that when we get them, we properly container them and make sure they're disposed of safely. So it's not something where we're going through and categorizing and trying to do an analysis on what everything is that's being dropped off. And how do they get disposed of? Well, we actually use an incinerator and work through an approved process that's taken place to have those items burned at a level which makes it safe for the environment. So we actually have special sites which we have to take those medicines to, and, and that's one of the things that's unique about the program is that we are able to collect them, take them to a location where they're safely disposed of and incinerated in accordance with environmental protection laws and to make sure that we can dispose of them in the best way possible for the environment. So that's one of the critical things that we like to point out to folks is that not only are you keeping your house safe, but you're also doing the best thing for the environment terms of the way that these are being destroyed and taken care of. We're speaking with Chris Evans. He's acting administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration. And in the Take Back program, you have partners in the corporate world also? We do. One of the things that's important about this is we do partner up with people throughout the country, whether it's the state or local government, pharmacies like CVS or authorized collectors, to help us as part of this Take Back mission. Every day we have this available and we're going through, but we already have a number of sites registered to go through and to be able to process this and help us through. So pharmacies, law enforcement, medical community are all part of the process we're going through. And really at this time, we already have uh, more than 4,800 sites set up to help us across the U.S. And the disposition boxes or the drop boxes, they are marked as DEA? They are. They're marked as DEA, but again, one of the things that we do is we partner with local efforts throughout. So there may be police departments or other areas where they have drop-off spots where we work with them and they are able to collect those things and turn them in. So you will see DEA markings, but one of the things we want to make sure that people understand is we want every day to be take-back day. We want to make sure that people understand that there's also an opportunity for them to dispose of these things in their local community. And there are law enforcement entities across the country as well as some of the other places where people locally can drop these off. We know there's over 11,000 sites throughout the country that are authorized to have permanent collection boxes. So we want to make sure that people know that we partner with the local communities and this is something that they can take care of. So again, every day can be take back day, but we really try to push it on these two days a year. And as you mentioned, you don't track the specific content of what is turned in. Do you track the specific weight in terms of just sheer quantities? We do. We track the weights, and that's one of the things which is I think most people find surprising is with COVID, as we talked about things being different. And the most recent event that we had this past October, we actually had the largest number of medicines turned in that we've ever had. We had over 900,000 pounds of medicines that were turned in last October. To date, um, this is, the again, the 20th iteration of this program, and we're into our 11th year. But to date, we've taken in more than 13.5 million pounds of medicines from homes throughout the country. So, again, I think when you hear that number of 13.5 million pounds of medicine removed from homes across the country, it really is significant in terms of the effort, what everybody's doing, and the partnerships that it takes for this to happen. I guess everyone can find at home during the pandemic have decided to straighten out their houses so they can live in them better <laughs> and have gone through those closets and uh, those uh, medicine cabinets. And does it ever strike you, you know, the DEA and maybe other agencies that, golly, why is so much unused drugs being prescribed in the first place? Well, I think one of those things that we you know, don't get into the analysis so much of that, but it is one of those things where you look at it, and I think the early expectations were that this program would be done for a number of time, and we, we would see the weights or the amounts 
begin to decrease, but we haven't seen that. And I think part of that is the awareness that people have of the importance of the program. And so as we continue to talk about it, as we continue to make sure people are aware of it, they continue to utilize the program. So as long as we can make sure that we keep people safe, we're going to continue to do that. But uh, it, it continues to grow and continue to be able to help communities across the country. Chris Evans is acting administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate it. And again, Drug Take Back Day is tomorrow. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So, what we're trying to do is is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is Ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing, like never before, on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? 
So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second a major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime, and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.